You know what I love about this sound is actually you. Everyone in it has got this massive soul. Hello everyone, welcome along to another episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. I'm Kev, your host as always. Uh, we're down to the bare bones from a football parlance uh, for this episode as Tony's still not quite fully fit and Dan can't join us. So it's just myself and the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe for this Burnley review episode. James, how you doing mate? 24 hours we're recording this on from what can only be described as a sickening, sickening defeat. And I feel no better about it either. <laughs> Absolutely terrible day. Um, yeah, why did we agree to do this? <laughs> it's yes, yeah, games like this that is a very very good question. It's um, yeah, it's a t- it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I suppose at half time, if you'd said we would go on and lose the game, you probably wouldn't have felt as bloody sick about it because really the town weren't at, for the first time this season. Really, the town weren't at the races in the first half. That's not to say that Burnley were any better. I didn't think they were massively better than us in that first half. But the second half, probably the best 45 minutes of sustained pressure Luton have had in a long time. And I include championship football in that. Mm. I cannot remember a time where a team cannot get out of their half for a long, long time. And um, it was just one-way traffic. And when we got the equaliser, you're like, yes, seven minutes left. And we all knew there was going to be at least that in injury time because they'd been time-wasting from the very start. Mm. And it didn't certainly didn't stop in the second half. Um, only for 60 seconds later, to, I mean, we were discussing before we started recording this podcast how low we felt in relation to the last time we felt it. And you brought up the Blackpool uh, winning goal in the playoffs. Yeah. Huddersfield for me, um, again in the playoffs. It just felt like a... Um, it just felt like a blow that's got more of a potential long-termness about it. Yeah, it was a yeah, it's as sickening as they come really. Yeah, I, I mean, I I went for the Blackpool one in the playoffs because it was at home, and you know there was less time then to have a go back, but every bit of momentum and joy was immediately sucked out of Kenworth Road last night. I mean, I I I didn't see it. I, I'll admit that now because I was still celebrating a bit. I was writing that. Adebayo had scored and then I look up I didn't see the kickoff. I look up balls in the back of the net I'm like what the bloody hell has gone on there it's only the fact that we've got uh, TV replays in the press benches now that I saw what had gone on and how can you legislate for that they they didn't have a sniff all second half they didn't get near Luton's goal Kaminsky had a cigar on and then he, he pulls that out of the bag and it just, yeah. However many minutes they could have played another half an hour, and it was not going to not going to score because it, it just totally, totally changed the game and yeah, murdered Luton really. Um, yeah, that's a sickener. It was. It really was. It was like one of those like you're watching a heavyweight fight, and all of a sudden a blow to the stomach just knocks the wind out of the other guy. It was just like that one. It? it was just. I mean. The balloon had just filled up with anticipation and excitement and it's like someone just put a grade A pin right through the middle of it and it was... I, f- I fully believed 
for 65 seconds, admittedly, that Luton were going to win that game. It just felt like it because they've been so good. The pressure had been relentless. The goal came at a reasonable amount of time for there to be more pressure. It, it, everything was shaping up for a wonderful grandstand finale. And uh, how do you, you cope with that, really? Oh, that's it. And I obviously, you know, the boys have got to bounce back from that and they've got to bounce back from that quickly, which I'm sure we'll cover when we uh, record a Tottenham preview podcast. But let's go right back to the start of that game. Uh, the team sheets came in. Interesting that Ted and Mengi ahead of Mads Anderson. I think we were both fairly confident or, you know, we thought that Reese Burke wouldn't be risked from the start in the game. Um, so Mengi over Anderson. Thoughts on that one? It was a surprise, but I think it was... We only put... Mads above or ahead of Mengi because of he played more minutes, and I think from the game before where they they both performed very admirably at, um, at Goodison Park, then you know you could have chosen between two, and the fact that it was Mengi wasn't wasn't too um, I wasn't fussed at all by it really. I mean they're both big defenders, and that's what we thought might might be needed. Um, so yeah, um, I think he equipped himself quite well, to be honest. Uh, in defensive uh, situations, I mean, he had a complete air shot in attack when in a good, good sort of position. Um, but I mean, he's, he's not the only one, is he? In a Luton shirt that has, has done that this season. So um, yeah, I mean, he looks like a decent, decent buy, doesn't he? Decent fine. And I think, like we said in the previous podcast, that it's Man United's lost Luton's game. Well, with every game that Manchester United play, it <laughs> seems like it's Man United's loss and Luton's gain. Are we now kind of assuming that Mads is Tom's replacement in the middle when Tom's not fit? Is that you know, is he only going to play that middle role, or do you still see him coming in? Um, <clears throat> I, I, well, I, it's going to be needs must at the moment, isn't it? Defensively, and I think. Um, It'd be unlikely, I'd imagine, that Bell's going to be playing against Spurs. It's finally taken his toll, didn't it? And he, he broke down in that game and had to come off. So, you know, he's played in a couple of positions across the back three. I think probably, yeah, the central position is the best one. But, yeah, needs needs must in a defensive uh, sense at the moment. Yeah, the only reason I uh, ask that is because, obviously, with call it 65 minutes of the game left or whatever Reese Burke came on instead of um, Mads Anderson so uh, it does seem like it's ball players on the sides and uh, old school in the middle if you like yeah it could be um, but then again after the first half where when there was some passing to be done Burnley did it and sort of passed, Lute, passed around Luton maybe they wanted a ball playing defenders to come on and try and counteract that somewhat and can understand why that would be Burke over Anderson. Um, you know, although I'm surprised that Burke was even on the um, team sheet. To be honest, when Burke gets a groin problem, that's usually six weeks out, isn't it? So that was a bonus. Yeah, encouraging. I mean, they did take him off for Everton pretty much straight away. So uh, obviously, they are kind of managing him. Uh, the first half. The one thing we kind of associate with the Luton, particularly at Kenilworth Road, James, is they're out of the blocks, they're right at it. And after five seconds, I thought, that's exactly what's going to happen here. They've chased the goalkeeper, they've closed him down on another day, that ends up in the back of the net. It just so happened that it hit Morris, ricocheted out. But we just seemed flat. 
it all just seemed flat, didn't it? For a, maybe with the exception of say maybe ten minutes, ten or fifteen minutes, we couldn't get the ball out to Doughty. We couldn't get the ball out to Ogbeni. Nothing was really holding up. They outnumbered us in midfield. Their three soon got on top of our two. We love Pelly on this podcast. Who doesn't love Pelly and a Luton shirt? But he'll know that it wasn't his finest um, exhibition of association football on Tuesday night. And uh, gradually, Burnley were kind of growing into that half of football without really posing a threat. I mean, they had the header from the corner straight after Bell went off, didn't they? While Luton were obviously um, repositioning themselves. But you would expect a keeper of Kaminsky's quality to push a header that's straight at him over the crossbar. But apart from that, I didn't really think Burnley were anything in terms of a goal threat special, but obviously they were popping the ball around nicely. But we just couldn't seem to get any sort of foothold in that first half. Yeah, I mean, we expected them to have a lot of the ball and play it. That was not a surprise. But I think it, there was too much of an eagerness to go quite long and, and hit it, which is perhaps understandable in the way that Ogbeni's come in and, and that's been a great out ball, but... Burnley seemed to suss that one out quite quickly and he didn't really have much joy. Um so it, yeah it was a it was a it was a tough watch at times cuz eventually Burnley got down to passing it but it was a bit kick kick it your end kick it our end a bit of a championship type of a game which is understandable from where they both come from but um you know I thought that with about 10 minutes to go that first half Luton did start to get back into it a little bit. Certainly didn't see the goal come in. Although they did find a lot of space in that area, like you say, with um, Pelly often go and walk about. And Sander Berger had a couple of those where he was unchallenged for a good 25, 30 yards running with the ball. Um, but, I mean, when the when the pitch opened up for the goal and the ball gets played in there, it's really an unfortunate nick off Lockyer's boot, and once he gets ahead, he's never winning a foot race with most strikers, is he? That's not his. That's not his game. He got totally caught out there, and yeah, it just um, it, that at that point it felt really flat because you're wondering how you're going to get back into it because they hadn't really had a sniff. Um, you know, it all changed in the second half, and they they changed it around and. Like you say, it was a really positive performance, but I suppose it shows that against a team that is able to pass in the way that that Burnley did, if you think in the next games against Spurs and they'll do the same, hopefully that's a lot of a big a big learning curve for Luton and how to deal with those teams because you don't want another half like that against Spurs. It would be it be curtains really. Yeah, indeed. Um yeah, you're right. I mean, the ricochet of locks on another day that hits his heels and someone picks up the second ball in behind. You just Once he's got past the locks, you're just hoping he's taken a heavy touch or something that Burke can get across and get in the way or Kaminsky can come out and smother the ball or whatever. But to be fair to him, he um, controlled it pretty well, didn't he, and slid it in uh, quite nicely. But like you say, second half, absolute, I mean, it was an absolute different game, wasn't it? I mean, it was almost like the game was played on sort of on a hill or something, it's everything was down the, at the Kenilworth end for pretty much the entire um, the entire game. Obviously, Doughty was pushed further forward to kind of level up with the midfield a little bit more. We managed to get him into the game. Twelve crosses from Doughty, pretty much most of them would have been all in that second half because he hardly touched the ball in the first half. Seven from Ogbeni, 
So the crosses were absolutely flying in. And you could tell pretty <laughs> early doors that Burnley didn't want a piece of it. I mean, literally the first set piece that came over, Morris heads over, he should hit the target, he knows he should hit the target. Then the next one, Bengi does the same thing. Then the one following that, Brown has a header off the line. It's literally like the Alamo at this point, you know, it's we're throwing absolutely everything at them. And it had to break at some point. No one can withstand that sort of pressure. Well, I mean, when though, when all that was going on, I was just thinking it just is not going to go into there, is it? Because, you know, you, yeah, we can talk all, all we like about chances created and everything, and that's still happening. But if you get one and it's a free header in front of goal, you're certainly expecting Carlton Morris to get it on target. And when that's not happening, or when the one time that it does go on target... It gets nodded off the line by a tiny little player in Josh Cullen. The smallest player on the pitch. I mean, as you Donald, it's... Um, yeah. I mean, I, th- I thought that that was in all the way. I was right behind that, right in the line of where I was sitting. And I thought, it's, it's, that's got to be in. And when it comes off the line, I mean, admittedly, I didn't see him flying in. The replay made it look a little bit more routine than what I saw live with my eyes. Um, but you're just thinking, oh, it's, it's just not going to happen. I know, when when he's cleared it off the line, you're just like, please watch on the referee's arm, please. I mean, he wouldn't have fucking known if it had gone off or not, would he? He mm-hmm. didn't have a clue all night, the referee. But, um, yeah, just help us out. And then, of course, while all this is going on, there's a penalty shout, which, you know, I'm afraid to say it is a penalty. You know, if you watch the Liverpool-Newcastle game earlier in the season, the only difference between what Van Dijk did on that occasion and what I think it was Bayer last night did was Van Dyke fouled the Newcastle player outside the box and Bayer did it inside the box. But that shouldn't be an issue where it is in the box. Ultimately, yes, Bayer won the ball, but so did Van Dyke. Unfortunately for both of them, they've clattered right through an ankle to get to the ball. Now that's a penalty kick, you know. I don't expect VAR to overturn it because they've got all this has to be clear and obvious and nonsense. And they're going to protect their mate as much as possible. But ultimately, if a top flight official is refereeing this game just from where the two bodies were where the the way that Morris brought the ball into the penalty box there is absolutely no way unless he's inspected gadget <laughs> that he can get that ball without going through Carlton Morris you just need to know how football works and Morris is not going to go down unless he's taken out because he's literally his next move is to get a shot away it's just a referee in the Premier League should be given that as a penalty or seeing that contact and um you know, if if he doesn't if he doesn't see it as contact, then book Morris for diving. But he should be seeing the incident, and I don't think he did. And once he doesn't see it, I mean, VAR are never going to overturn it, are they? They, well, they're basket cases at the minute anyway. But obviously, we had the Fulham referee Michael Salisbury in the VAR booth. I mean, Stevie Wonder would have been as much joy in there as him. He, he was useless at Fulham, so how he can be in a VAR, I don't know. But at least you've got a tune out, of Stevie Wonder. You would have got a tune out of him, yeah, absolutely. At least we'd have done something of note. Um, it's, it's, but it's a penalty, isn't it? Yeah, for me it's a penalty. It's so frustrating. I said at the time that Luton got mugged off for a penalty. Um, I saw the replays. Um, live, I thought it was a penalty. If you've watched the Sky highlights, the commentators after two or three replays are more and more convinced with each time they see the replay that it was a penalty. Did they give it, yeah. Um yeah, and for the same reasons, um, I, th- I thought it was a penalty that you're talking about. Morris cleverly gets his foot in the way when he knows the contact is coming and the contact is there. 
and I know that there's been a lot of debate about people saying, for me, it's not a penalty. And I, I think that people are, they're not looking at it objectively as to what the law is. They're looking at it with feelings, like they don't feel it should be a penalty because it's not, I don't know, rough enough contact or it's not serious foul or something like that. But that's not the law. The law is very simple. If there's contact, um, I was looking at it today. I've done more looking at the IFAB rules <laughs> <laughs> this season in the last two weeks than I ever have uh, before. Um, what what it basically covers in there is that um, if there's a trip or an attempt to trip, that's a foul. So that's a penalty. So that was the case because he con hit. Morris's foot first but then there's an, another one also in the same law there's a lot of bullet points in this one but I think the one that like rubber stamps it for me is that um, if you Im impede an opponent with contact and he did he impeded Morris he kicked his foot and yeah the ball get, maybe gets the ball after but that's not what whatever happens after that contact is irrelevant you know, Morris could have done a jig, and you can't bring that into the equation. But that's that's not a foul. So, but it doesn't matter what he does after that incident. It's a foul, and so I have no idea why a they're not giving it, and why VAR VAR are not doing anything about it. And the other issue I've got with it is I only learnt hours later that apparently there was a VAR check because. It's not on the screen. It wasn't on the screens on the press bench. You think maybe that we might get some sort of info there ahead of it. Nothing. You know, I don't want you to cry for me because I didn't get it, but fans should be getting it. It should be on the screen. If there is a check, then there needs to be that. For all that I knew until I left Kenilworth Road and got home later that night, they were not interested and they didn't bother with it. And that's not good enough. There's screens there. If there's a check... It needs to be communicated, either that or verbally, preferably both. Yeah, I mean, we've brought it up a few times already on this podcast. You've got a Rugby World Cup going on, and we're not egg-chasing fans, but you've got a Rugby World Cup going on now where everyone inside that stadium knows everything that's going on at every single bit. The people who have paid to go and watch that particular sport are kept up to date. The people who are paid to watch football, sorry, who pay to watch football, are the last people to know anything and it just can't be right and what made it worse to double down on it was like 30 seconds later Chio breathes on the bloke who could not stand up all night and it's a free kick but just because it's outside the box but the one that's got seriously more contact than the other and the one with the less contact gets the free kick it was like it all night it was the refereeing was pathetic from start to finish I mean the time wasting was incredible and, and I'm not just singling Burnley out for this you know we can't you know throw stones in glass houses we time wasted it Everton on Saturday um, but Anthony Taylor punished Issa Kabore for that he booked him after about an hour and that was fine but uh, it, it didn't he, he booked Roberts late late on for yeah literally in the, the like the 93rd yeah, minute or something stupid I mean what use is that I mean the worst one was the fellow who went off as a substitute wasn't he he ran for about five yards and then he went on the slowest walk of all time and the referee's just standing there with his arm up in the air pointing at his watch I mean what use is that? And yet again, for the second home game on the trot, someone, when Luton are on top, someone just plonks their ass down, feigns that they've got cramp, and the whole team go over to the dugout to find out what to do next. Mm. That needs stopping. 
that needs yeah. stopping right now because that was the Foster incident. That yeah. is absolutely the Wolves goalkeeper did it. Now Foster's done it. And the other thing that needs to happen if they're really going to worry about the spectacle of the game of football and ne- and too many goalkeepers, when the goalkeeper gets the ball and then falls on his stomach f- and then lies there for fifteen seconds. Sorry, that six-second rule needs to come back, and it needs to come back <laughs> swift because Pickford does it, mm. makes it's, makes an absolute habit of it, doesn't he? Their guy last night did it. Kaminsky did it on Saturday. We're not paying for goalkeepers to sit there with the ball, you know, rolling around on the floor. We are paying for that ball to be in play. Get it in play, for Christ's sake. Yeah. I Whether mean, it's Kaminsky or Trafford, that ball needs to be in play. Premier League football is expensive. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the... The tactical going down like Foster did last night, and the Wolves keeper did, is just leave them. They're not seriously injured. It's not. Yeah, exactly. But I suppose the referee can't, can he? Because if he is, I mean, we all know but he's it's not, not a head injury or anything. I we mean, all know he's not injured. In I mean, you made the point about rugby. In rugby, there's like twenty-five stone men falling on top of each other. At great force and if there's an injury in rugby the game doesn't stop you just get on with it the physio's allowed to treat the player whilst the game's going on in rugby the sooner that comes into football the sooner all of this cramp and all of this nonsense stops because a mate a bloke's not going to go down on the edge of his box if the game's going on he's just not going to do it mm. and they're not all going to toodle off for a little team talk on the sidelines you know if we want timeouts in football bring the bloody things in don't have someone just going down suggesting that they've got cramp it's an insult to everyone who pays football and that's where the Luton players do it thankfully we don't have cramp we seem to have quite good uh, physical capabilities in that regard or any other um, team it's just it's annoying yeah I mean it's it's ridiculous that they're in five minutes we've talked about two ways in which football just needs to borrow from rugby the that I mean that's a minor one I mean it's frustrating when it happens but the but the VAR situation and the communication of it I don't understand why it takes wh- why they haven't even just nick it wholesale nick the whole thing wholesale you don't have to reinvent the wheel in rugby they say is there any reason why I cannot award that try and that that's clear and they, they we get to hear if you're watching it on telly I've not been to a rugby game for a long while. I don't know but if you it gets get to happened. hear it in the ground. Okay, yeah. you get to hear it in the ground. That has to happen. Luton have just paid for a lot of money for new screens at Kenilworth Road. That needs to go up on the screen about what's happening because th- there is no way that fans that pay that amount of money should be getting shortchanged by these things. I don't know why we have to keep saying it. But no. It seems that we are discussing it all the time. That is the after effect of what happened. But the fact is why wasn't it a penalty? It's a penalty. The laws say it's a penalty. There's no, there's no, there's almost no ambiguity in, in it. It's not a handball one where it's interpretation. There's contact and he's impeded the player. It doesn't matter how much contact. It, that's the laws. If I'm not saying you have to like it, I don't like it if it's a, like the tiniest contact and goes down, but that's the laws. It's not whether you like it or not, that's a penalty. I mean, when you're standing ankles clipped, it's you know it's having an impact, an impact on what you can do, isn't it? And um, 
Yeah, I thought it was a penalty. Uh, I thought it was a penalty at the time. I see in the kennel offender, it's right in front of me. I could see there's no way. I mean, I'm li- Morris is literally the other side of the player to where I'm sitting. So I know full well there's no way to get to that ball without going through Morris first. Unless Morris loses the ball with a heavy touch. Well, he didn't. He had it perfectly under control. So everyone knew it was a penalty in the kennel offend. Even the linesman would have had a similar view to me. I mean, they're just there for decoration anyway, aren't they, these days? But, yeah, it's yet another refereeing decision that's gone against Luton. But we did get the equaliser. Elijah got the equaliser. Good in two ways. Obviously, it was a a deserved equaliser. But it's good to get Elijah off the mark as well because he's looked really good when he's come on off the bench in these cameo appearances. Yeah, well, for the first time since he ever came to the club, he's having to play that role and he's got a lot to prove, hasn't he? I mean, at the minute... Uh, you know, Brown is doing a good job, but he's not looking like he's going to score. <laughs> and even when he does, he gets a, one cleared off the line. So in that sense, he's done himself the world of good, hasn't he, really, to get himself on the score sheet. And it was a, it was a lovely finish as well, t- on the swivel. Um, so fair play to him. It's just that <laughs> it didn't last long. Well, it shows how much even he trusts the referee because his first instinct was to look and see if he was given a foul from Reese Burke on the defender, which wasn't a foul. He just got up first and headed it down. But, you know, he still looked over to make sure that the goal had been given Elijah because, you know, the referee was just having an absolute <sighs> mental all night when he was just well, that's not good. That's the other thing, isn't it? I mean, I'm not I'm not saying anything new that any people haven't said before, but it takes all the joy out. That is, the, yeah. that is what we all watch football for, for that moment. And if you're sort of not celebrating because you're wondering whether... Something's going to happen. And God knows even if the players are getting told if there's a VAR check at all. I, probably not, because we're not getting told. Nobody is, except the BBC, apparently. They knew. Um, and Sky. Yeah, Sky, the Sky commentary reference. Which is it. wonderful. I love it that armchair fans from across the world that get get to hear it instead of the fans, the real people that go into the grounds and make the noise. It's not on, is it? No, nope, it really isn't on. Um yeah, I, I mean, it's not the only one. No one knew at, Ken- uh, at Goodison Park on Saturday whether Anthony Taylor had given Everton's goal or not given Everton's goal. Four minutes later, at least they told us on the screen that there's a check. Four minutes later, though, I mean, come on. We need more information inside the grounds uh, and more transparency. Uh, and obviously, you know, who knows? Maybe Liverpool get their replay and then we can all start replaying games with dodgy decisions. Well, yeah, and maybe just get some decisions right, lads. You've got the, you've got the bloody cameras right on there is it that hard to just get a decision right you're full time you're trained it's about time you start uh, doing your job because if players and managers don't do theirs they get sacked and uh, just not refereeing the following weekend that don't help no one either does it so well, well is there moonlighting as well going to Saudi Arabia or Abu Dhabi or wherever they're going and coming back that can't happen they're, they're paid about 100 grand a year decent wages for just blowing a whistle isn't it and it's particularly if you that aren't expected to actually do your job well. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? There's no sort of um, trepidation of it. There's no sort of comeback. And yeah, it's it's frustrating. And that's the third game now that Luton have been on the wrong end of a penalty decision that's cost us. Could easily have had points from all three, couldn't we? West Ham, Fulham, and indeed last night. But hey, uh, and then the winning goal. I mean, I doubt he's going to hit one like that all season, is he? And then, you know... There he is, top corner. 
there isn't a great deal Kaminsky can do about it. Yeah, I suppose some people would say he's left too much on that side. But then if it goes to his near post, they'll and in that side they'll say why weren't you know why weren't he covering his near post? So there isn't a great deal Kaminsky can do about well, no, that. No, Luton played didn't touch the ball. They kicked off and then they scored. So yeah. somewhere along the lines to get to that point, there needs to be a tackle going in. But yeah, I mean. It's not like we didn't point out the fact that Burnley like a long range shot. Yep. You know, we're just sitting here on on this camera, but they've got analyst football clubs have analysts and stuff. Should, I, I, I'm no doubt they would have pointed that out. So, element of going to sleep, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'd say about that goal is Burnley scored that goal God knows how many times last season, but it was Manuel Benson who'd done it. I think he'd done it in about five straight games towards the end of last season. So it is clearly something that coming inside and ping it in the top corner. Obviously, it was a different player this time. Maybe they've, you know, maybe they scouted it for Benson, who was, wasn't involved. But even so, you're right. We pointed out that Burnley have, was it, 38% of shots from outside the box. So, you know, players must know, as you say, they've switched off. Paid the ultimate price, really. I suppose if it is a wrong peg to give a benefit of doubt, maybe you do show him inside. That's not his stronger foot, but... Man, it's just like the first goal is a Luton cock up, but then to get punished so readily as Luton are, it's almost like I can't I can't fathom how that is happening so much. When it's when it's a Luton mistake, you've got to hold your hands up like that. But when you're getting punished out of the blue, that's hard to take. And I don't. And the goal scoring situation when. How many crosses was it? 30? 31, yeah. 31 crosses. So many headers, loads wide. I don't understand how, in the case of maybe Carl Morris, in the championship, that goes in. And then just because you're in the Premier League, it's not going in. It's just like, that is black magic stuff, isn't it? You can't even, you can't <laughs> even explain that away. How that how that happens? I mean, it's just mentally and confidence, isn't it? You know, mentally that oh no, I'm only going to get X amount of chances in these, so the pressures on them, t- and the confidence of oh, I've only scored one goal in open play this season, which was a banger, as it turned out. Mm. You know, but or maybe they're trying to be too perfect with it. You know, just put it on target. Goal goalkeepers do concede goals that are on target. That would be a start, wouldn't it? That's the main thing, getting it on target. That, I think that's the most disappointing thing for me, James, that every single time we come out of these games, we're looking at shots, and they're well into double figures in nearly every single game that we play. And then you look at the shots on target, and they're not even getting to five. I think I was, I was watching the Chelsea game on Monday night, and I think they said then that the only shot conversion in terms of shots to shots on target that was worse than Chelsea's this season was Luton. And, I mean, they're not missing them on purpose. Of course they're not missing them on purpose. But, you know, even, even if you don't get a great connection on it, sometimes bad connect, badly connected balls end up in the bottom corner, don't they? It's, you know, how many times have we seen it against us? It's like, buy a ticket, you never know you might win the raffle. Well, I mean, they are buying the ticket, though, aren't they? The numbers just aren't coming up. So. Well, yeah, buy the right ticket for the right uh, draw. Well, yeah, if we could do that, we'd all be millionaires, Rodney, wouldn't we? But um, it's just maybe that maybe this is the quality aspect that we get told about. I mean, this is this is new stuff to us, and it this is this, this top oh, yeah. division stuff is new stuff to. You want a guaranteed finish? Eh? You know, you're yeah. paying a heck of a lot more Absolutely. than what Luton are paying. Absolutely, and and you know, Luton 
even when they were flying in the championship, probably needed three or four or five chances to score a goal. And maybe this is that situation, you know, um, magnified. But I don't know. Maybe it's just a, a patch at the moment, and you know, we see five da- five games down the line, everything goes in. You, you'd really hope so, but I don't, I, you know, that's that is feasible because you know we're sitting here disappointed and talking about terrible refereeing decisions and a sucker punch defeat, which really f- did uh, take the wind out, out of you. That. We're sitting here talking about those things, but they're they're still improving. And that's what's well, difficult. You, you can't really talk about that improvement journey with the way it, it ended yesterday. But they were from the first half to the second half, a great improvement. The the, the way they attacked, wonderful. It's just that final bit, isn't it? And even in both boxes, it's that one lapse of concentration in the first half, go go a goal behind, and their man seems to know where the goal is. And poked it away, and and Luton have umpteen chances and can't even get it on target. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the bloke who scored the winning goal, he's come for fifteen million. So, you know, we we spent twenty million in total. It's we're operating in a different world, but that doesn't mean to say that we can't just be that little bit better at certain things. And I think Rob said afterwards, didn't he? That I think he referenced it, didn't he? The amount of shots to the amount of goals, and that's the difference in the game. And and I think that's the frustrating thing, that we're getting all these chances and it'd be much more of a concern if we weren't getting the chances in the first place, let's just say that. We're getting all these chances and then we're looking at the other end. They've got two chances. Uh, Burnley had a few more than two chances last night, but Wolves, one chance, one goal. Fulham, one chance, one goal. You know, they, this is the Everton, one real good chance, two or three other sort of chances that they'd have probably expected to score, but certainly not to the extent that it was last night. One goal. And that's the that's the, that kind of the combinedness of it all is where the frustration lies. But you know, as I say, you can't fault them for effort. You can't fault them for energy. You can't fault them for commitment. You can't fault them for improving all the time. But they always say, don't they, the hardest thing to do in football is score a goal, and we're just finding out that that is that is the case at the minute. Hopefully, if there is a game that comes along where the pressure isn't quite as intense as that. And maybe it is Saturday because no one's expecting us to win on Saturday. Hopefully, everything we hit ends up in the you know bottom or top corner. I suppose you could argue that's what happened to Everton to a large extent. You know, the two genuine shots we had on target both found the back of the net, but that was the key thing—the two genuine shots we had on target. And uh, I mean, he ain't made many worldy saves last night, has he, the goalkeeper? And uh, ugh. Oh, this is a, this is a thing. It's a topic of conversation that's been happening for a while. I mean, I asked Rob Edwards before the Everton game about how how do you change this and what what can he do? You can practice it till the cows come home, and they are uh, apparently their shooting practices, uh, obviously set pieces, everything. They're, they're really trying to nut, nail it down. But once you get into that pressure situation, whether it be in a snap shot or uh, maybe even a slight touch that you need to get on it to get it in target it's just not happening that's why I say how can you even coach this I mean you can coach everything until the last contact of the ball that's down to the player and it's just it just feels like (laughs) just feels like bad juju at the moment yeah bad juju indeed yeah I mean as we've said it would be much more concerning if we weren't getting the chances 
at all. We are getting the chances. We're playing some really good football. We just need that ball to start rolling in the right direction and um, and it will come. Hopefully it will come. Uh, we've gone through the positives, we've gone through the negatives, we've gone through the game as a whole. Uh, the one thing we haven't done is given you Rob Edwards' thoughts on the game. We sent James down inside the inner sanctums of Kenilworth Road after the game to get the thoughts of the Hatters boss. Uh, here they are. Obviously really disappointed with the result, as we all would be. We're, you know, we're down in there, uh, pretty flat and hurting because of the, you know, the manner of it, the timing of it. Um, I've been trying to re- remove my emotion of, of, of losing the game and obviously in that way from it, there was lots there that were good, loads. I do think they shaded the first half. I thought it was still fairly tight, but they shaded it and probably got through us a couple of times um, too easily. But they can do that. They're expansive. They've got a good way about them. Um, we adjusted one or two things second half. I thought we then pretty much completely dominated the second half. Uh, we've had 15 shots inside the box tonight and then only scored the one. And that's proving the most difficult thing for us at the moment. You know, um, We pushed. We've had set pieces. We've gone forward with numbers. We were brave. We were aggressive. We didn't allow them any control, which is what they want. Um, and uh, but ultimately, come away with nothing, and you know that hurts tonight. You know, obviously, we haven't touched the ball after the the goal. I swept away with emotion as well at the time, and I really felt at that moment because we had momentum and we were on top. I thought I felt that we could go on and win the game. I'm sure the players felt that, supporters felt that as well, but. You know they've gone back and across. We tried to press. They've gone long. They picked up. The, they picked it up. Made a couple of passes and switched it. We probably sagged off a little bit too much, thinking the cross was going to come in. And then he's checked inside. Obviously, bent it in the top corner. Maybe if we stayed higher, we're, he's coming inside to bodies. You know, I think there's a few things that we can better out there without me going too technical into too much detail. But um, certainly something that we can learn from. But you know, um, yeah, yeah. That was a bit. That was a pretty gut in that moment then at that time and I said to the lads I, you know you've given everything that's why supporters are, are standing clapping at the end and that's the if they're doing that this year then we've, we're doing the right thing we'll all everyone in the ground everyone will be disappointed tonight because we should have taken something from the game so we're all, we're all down we're allowed we're allowed to be down right now um, you know the name of the game is to try and pick up points and try and win football matches and we've given everything to try and do that um, and no one can really disagree with that. Everyone can see the way the game went and the momentum that we had. But you know we haven't taken anything, and uh, you know that that's why you know that's why we're down tonight at the final whistle, and, and even now. But we've got to pick ourselves up, and you know we've got another huge game here on Saturday. So you know we can only feel down for so long. We've got to pick ourselves up and um, and go again. Yep, Rob's very reflective um, and right as always, uh, and credit to Rob last night because all of his substitutions worked uh, every single one that came on improved the team and that's all you can do from his point of view from the sidelines and like you said earlier James he just needs players to just do that last little bit and uh, hopefully we'll be alright we usually finish this podcast with the performer of the night or day if it's an afternoon game uh, who stood out last night well for me Morris Having the, the final touch, <laughs> having, that was, having just criticised him. <laughs> I mean, I'm not criticising him. No. He's, he's leading the line incredibly well, and he he, he was a, a a menace and a bully, and held the ball up well. And he's, uh, you know, we talked about his aerial, um, Jules one, his top of the tree before that game, and 
well, nobody else has played since, so he's going to be even more so because he was winning stuff even in his own yeah, box. Yeah, three, three more set pieces he headed out yesterday. The old James Collins style role that, that he was so good at in the defensive uh, sense and he was winning him up top and he was bringing it into play and he was confident to go past players. He did it in the box, should have got a penalty, we've already discussed that. Everything, everything, everything was great until that last shot and I just... I don't know. I don't know how he's how he's missed it, but yeah, he's he's really growing into this league. Uh, you know, maybe it's just a you know, we'd hope it would just be a off night for him in, in the finishing stakes there because everything else he's doing, certainly in the last three games, four games, has been great because he was kept quite quiet in, at the start, and you were thinking, oh, well, this could be a problem. But if you think back to even last season in the championship. It was re- relatively quiet in the first few games. It did show some good things, but he grew into it massively, and it seems to be the way it's going now. So, you know, if he can, what if he can find ten goals this season, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, he's thirty percent of the way there, isn't he? So, and you know, plenty of games to come. And also with Morris, he's getting used to not having Elijah next to him. Elijah took a lot of attention away from Morris, didn't he? With you know, he's why he's got two defenders all over him. So it's that kind of. Different thing, but you're right. Since the since Kurt Zuma at West Ham, no defenders handled him. So from that point of view, yeah, that bodes well. Now we just need the rest of the side to sort of rally around him and uh, be there to support. And um, yeah, it will come. It will definitely come. I'm, so I'm confident that Morris gets ten goals this season. I'd like, yeah, I'd like to think so. Yeah, um, well, certainly if you if you're creating that many chances, then eventually something, surely something's got to click. You know, eventually, hopefully not too long because you can't keep watching 31 crosses going in and no one getting... It's not even like they're not getting on the end of them now, is it? So maybe, you know, when they talk about the step up and the leap, maybe we just... Maybe we've just really, really underestimated how precise each thing is to get better at. And, you know, they've, they've gone from... Conceding four goals, three goals, two goals, one one goal. Um, now, now they're back up to two, obviously, but after the last game. But they managed that, and so maybe it's not getting any chances, then putting in loads of crosses, not getting on them, then it's putting in crosses and getting on them, and then maybe next time we score a few of them. Who knows? I'm, I'm trying to find some silver linings here because it's a, it's a frustrating situation. Yeah, it is. But you are right. And as I say, you know, maybe it's a pressure thing. And if it is a pressure thing, then Tottenham on Saturday when there's no pressure or, or seemingly little pressure in terms of expectation, maybe that's the one where they all fall in the back of the net. It's a funny game football, isn't it? What you expect to happen very rarely does. And um, hopefully that's the case on Saturday. I would uh, I would say as well, just as an honourable mention, I thought Chio after that first half an hour where they seemed to the measure of him I thought he had another good game and he's obviously versatile because he moved back into the fullback role when Luton changed it up and brought on some subs to try and impact the game which worked yeah absolutely I think that sub was pretty obvious Issa Kabore he looked a little um, subdued didn't he on yeah no it it wasn't his night and um, yeah fair play for that change and obviously Chong came on for him I think it might have been Elijah who came on for him whichever one came on for him they both played. They both made an impact in there. And Chio going to the right 
kind of worked really. So um, you know, maybe that's something that we see down the line to get to, to get Elijah and Morris on the pitch from the start. We'll discuss that and more in our next preview podcast. But that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks to everyone for watching or listening, however it is that you've consumed this podcast. If you have consumed it on YouTube, please do keep subscribing to our channel. Subscribers are going up all the time. We really appreciate both the subscriber numbers and the comments that are being left, whether you're a Luton fan or whether you're a fan of the opposition. We don't naturally disrespect opposition. We are quite sarcastic on here. Please don't take any offence to anything that is said. It is all just light-hearted fun. If you do subscribe... I don't care if you do. <laughs> uh, yeah. And if you do take offence to it, you'll only have James uh, winding you up even further, so it really isn't any point in uh, in doing it. Uh, also, if you do subscribe, we're promising you exclusive content throughout the course of this season, and our next exclusive podcast is going to drop before the Tottenham game, so make sure you have subscribed to our podcast... Uh, sorry, to our YouTube channel in order for notifications to come when that drops. James, thanks for being with me. Thanks to the Hightown Club for hosting us uh, for this podcast. Thanks to Liam Smith for the images that we've used whilst we were giving you Rob's um, press conference. Thanks to Sean Grant and the Wolfgang for the intro that is um, very popular. And also to Ed Smith Creative for all of the designs that you can see on set. Most importantly, though, thanks to you for watching or listening in. And until next time, come on, you atters. Everyone in it has got this massive soul. We're looking people.